0: We are in the book of Revelation, some call the Revelation of John, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. They use several terms, but we'll find out as we begin in chapter 1 and verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants, the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. So we begin, the revelation is from Jesus Christ. It was delivered to him from the Father, God the Father, uh, goes through him and from him. All things, since his ascension and since his glory has been restored to him, is equal with the Father or the Godhead, They act. In perfect uh, unity. All that the Father has is shared with the Son of God. He is the Word of God. While He had earthly ministry, His divinity was restrained. We could say He could not use it. And He did not. Everything that He did, uh, He did as a servant, a prophet. And that is the reason He was baptized with the Holy Spirit. If He was acting As God and deity, He did not need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So it's very important we understand He did these things as a man. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, but He was limited. Things were kept from the Son while He was in His earthly tabernacle. He didn't have certain knowledge of end-time events. And whatever a prophet could get was the restriction he had. Whatever the Father chose to reveal to him. And that was one of the great temptations, the main temptation when he was taken into the wilderness for 40 days to be tested by the devil. The devil's main emphasis was to try to get him to use his divinity. If you're the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Well, see, the potential was he could do it. But to do it would have been disobedience to the Father. The human would have to have sinned to do this. And yet it was a real temptation. I've talked to many people that pass ignorant people. I hate to say it, but they're very ignorant and foolish. Well, Jesus never could have sinned because he's the Son of God. Then the whole thing is a sham. If Jesus could not have yielded as a man... God is just making up a big story, and it's laughable to anybody. No, the potential was. It is irregardless to us what God sees, he deals in the eternal present with humans. So the potential was, and the devil tried to get him to yield to his divinity so Jesus would have failed in obeying the perfect will of the Father which he did not do. He submitted and did not yield to these real temptations. When the devil wanted him to make bread, Jesus, after 40 days of fasting, was at a point of starvation. His whole body was hungry and crying out. It wasn't just an appetite. So it was a real temptation that he turned down. So we see his desire, the Father's desire, is to show his servants. And that is, when the terms used, bondservant, the children of God, the sons and daughters of the Lord. We have several words. The believers, the disciples, the saints. Saints are living Christians. Most of the dead saints were even Christians. He shows them, and it's his will, to show various things that are going to come upon the earth or various situations. And the reason for that is that people, the Lord's people will be and stay prepared and not wander off from the will of the Lord. That's what the devil and demonic forces always seek to draw the Christian back to the world, to the selfish way of living and not to do the will of the Father. So the multitude, the multi-millions over the generations that stand in judgment and say, Lord, Lord, they believe they're Christians. All of them did. They believed he was the son of God. They believe he died on the cross and resurrected. And yet Jesus, in answering them, said, I don't know you. You are workers of lawlessness. You did not do the will of my father. See, that should be the emphasis, not believing. Many people put too much emphasis on mental assent or believing. Believing is useless if there's no obedience, if there's no works, if there's no fruit to prove it exists, but that's the multitude of people who name the name of the Lord. They do say, Lord, Lord, and they will claim to have done many good things and works and ministries in His name, and yet He will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawless ones. See. You didn't do the will of the Father because you keep sinning. You were not led of the Spirit. You did not overcome these things. And therefore, you cannot be mine. And you never were mine. That's a hard statement. But that proves that the majority of denominations, the majority of almost 2 billion out of 7.5 billion people that claim to be Christians are not Christians. See? The world considers them Christians because they believe in Jesus. Well, the devil believes, but he does not believe to obey. But all demons understand. They know who Jesus is. They're terrorized to confront him. Remember when he was casting them out? They were hoping he wasn't going to send them to the lake of fire, to hell. They didn't know all the scripture, and God didn't reveal it. He possibly could have. There are demons that are restrained and are not roaming the earth. Demonic powers that God has restrained for humankind and for mankind's. He makes it fair. See, God, when he sets the board like chess, he makes sure it's fair overall. So even in the old system, he had a fair system. He only required certain things from people who did not have the spirit of the Lord, even the covenant people. So he set the limits and weeped at certain things and was more merciful at certain things because they were ignorant. But he did consider them and weigh these things. He did not expect perfection from people who could not give perfection. And the sacrifices and the rituals, many of these symbolized him extending grace to them and not giving them full judgment for their sins. People think it was only when Jesus came that he came with grace and truth. God showed tremendous grace to the children of Israel. He tested them ten times with signs and wonders that no other generation has seen. And they rejected him and they disobeyed him. But he was gracious to keep doing it. Two to three times he was going to wipe the whole nation out and start over with Moses. And yet Moses, being an assessor and understanding God's purposes, united with God's will and asked for an extension, for, and God gave it. But he meant business. God does not just talk. If he says, I'm going to wipe something out, he means I'll do it if certain conditions aren't met. He's always given conditions, and even to the backslider, he desires that they come back. But some cross a point where there is no return. Some blaspheme or insult the spirit, as Saul did, as Pharaoh did, as others, and God decides not to extend any more grace to them. And he does that in the new covenant age. Those can be twice dead, backslidden. Those can go deep with God and then go deep with the devil, and God can decide not to be gracious to him. That's his prerogative. But he starts off having grace and giving grace to everyone. He extends. He waits. He understands that man is dust. He understands the corruption of sin. He will not excuse it, but he offers extensions. He offers delays. He said he prefers mercy over judgment. So that's his overall goodwill, Toward mankind, even wicked men. So the father's desire is to show his servants, his children, the various things that are going to come, that they will stay prepared and stay in his will. See, that's his purpose. That's the main purpose of prophecy, is to encourage those to continue in the will of the Lord. So if they're prepared for certain things, they're not shocked, they're not disturbed and they can get prepared. And so this is what he wants. That's what prophecy is for. Okay, the book of Revelation is a end-time prophecy. What's going to be revealed has been sealed up, much of it. Even Daniel, God wishes to reveal many things, but some things he's not ready to reveal, and he keeps it a secret. That's his business. If we go to Daniel chapter 12, Verse 8 through 10, the angel is speaking to Daniel, and Daniel says, Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, My Lord, he's addressing the angel, what shall be the end of these things? And the angel says to him, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white, and refined. But the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But the wise, they shall understand. See, people do not understand. I I teach it often because I don't hear it often expressed. God is hiding things from wicked people. He's not trying to reveal many things to them. When people will not obey the Lord, when they will not obey their conscience, He withdraws things. He doesn't keep giving them. He doesn't hound people as the false evangelists. They think the Holy Spirit hounds these people for 30 or 40 years so they can save the last five minutes of their life. This is nonsense. Old and to speak of the hardening and speaking of God's much is given, much is required, and warns even the Christian do not resist the Spirit and warns what can happen He withdraws his grace, which he does. Those Christians who do not stay with Jesus and continue with him, the Father cuts them off from grace. He cuts them off from Jesus, the life of Jesus. But he said, every branch in me. The heretic says, well, they weren't real Christians. Well, Jesus said they were. He said, they were in me. That's the term the Apostle Paul used so often in Christ Jesus. They were in the covenant, but they ceased to bear fruit. They ceased to continue to follow the Lord because they have a will. And they were tempted to go back to live the life of the flesh and the natural man. And they want to find their life. They don't understand or want to give their duty what they owe to the Lord. And so they will be cut off from Christ. So what we're seeing now is... When the book of Revelation, the prophecy is given, much of what was hidden from Daniel is being revealed in the book of Revelation. But even to the Christian in the times that are now, things are hidden from us. And only those after the body of Christ has been taken away and those living under the next order, they will begin to perceive certain things that are not for us. So there are many things that are sealed, but what he wants us to know, he gives to us. He sends the prophets to reveal to the body of Christ events, but if he does not reveal clearly certain things, it means it's none of our business. God is not going to reveal to anyone what you cannot find overall in Scripture. Even personal prophecy cannot supersede God's revelation. He's not given secret things to special people that nobody else gets. He may give revelation in their ministry. He may give certain events in the nation that they're living in. He can warn of certain things. But he's not given us end time events that revelation and the Bible as a whole has not spoken on. So we need to understand that. And we keep needing to repeat so people who have any wisdom and get out of the baby stage can understand. Jesus said, Father, I thank you. You've hidden these things from the wise and the intellectual, the Pharisees and the scribes. Because of their sins and seeking to kill Jesus, the Holy Spirit kept from them who Jesus really was. He hid it. He would not give them the revelation." Therefore, when they put him to death, most of them thought he was a false prophet. And yet the disciples, the babes, the children of God, it was revealed to them. They understood these things. See, it was given to them to understand. But the wicked, as he said, shall not understand. That's always the general principle of God. God can warn, he can enlighten, he can admonish, but he does not reveal spiritual things to wicked people. Only thing he's interested in is their repentance, convicting them of sin, and then turning to the Lord. That's why I constantly say, even for a Christian, if he is not following the Lord, eventually he's going to lose his Christianity, and the Spirit's going to withdraw knowledge and wisdom. Oh, he can teach, he can retain in his mind. But he's not going to be given spiritual wisdom or understanding, and he's going to be deceived in areas because he doesn't have the spirit of truth. So people can study scripture, and most do, and not come to spiritual understanding. See, I know people, you know them, that they study, they can quote scripture, and yet they're not even Christians. Oh, they think they are, but they follow their own dictates. They find their life. They do what they want, and they just add some religion and give God a little money and time, and they feel that's it. But see, they have not followed the Lord wholly. They have not kept Christ as their first love, their duty, everything. Jesus said, you can't be my disciple unless you hate everyone in your own life in comparison to your love and duty to Christ. For Christ to be the first love means he's first in duty. He's not talking about emotions here. He's not talking about affections. How do we prove our love for God? Christ made it very plain. God made it very plain. Keep his commandments. He that says he loves God and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. See, it makes it very plain. It's not talking about feelings and emotions. Oh, yeah, most of these false Christians, the multitude, they sing and have wonderful songs. That's what they like to get together. They stimulate their emotions and get excited. They think this is God. It's nothing but the human nature. It's neutral. They can do the same thing in a baseball game. But they equate that with God. But see, it isn't. If they do not obey the Lord and follow him, he thinks it stinks. In the Old Covenant, in Ezekiel, he said, you come and you offer your gifts. You bring musical instruments and you sing beautiful songs. And he said, and I hate it because your heart is far from me. He's not interested. See, the sacrifices of the wicked, of the false Christian, the backslider, is detestable to the Lord. He wants nothing from them but their repentance. And everything they do is discarded. As Jesus will say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So it's God's norm to hide from wicked people spiritual truths. He doesn't give this to the wicked. See, it's not his intention for them. Paul was praying for the body of Christ when he said, may God give you the spirit of wisdom and understanding. See, he has to give this to the Christian. They have to receive it. They have to be led of the Spirit and obey Christ to continually be led of the Lord, otherwise he ceases it. So most people's what we call knowledge or godliness is a mental assent to various teachings, but the heart is not changed or it ceases to change, and it's all lip service as far as the Lord is concerned. It's spiritually useless and has no spiritual value. So to get knowledge, to grow in grace, and to be led of the Spirit, the condition for that is to follow the Lord and obey Him. Many people are seeking a word of the Lord when they're disobeying Him in their personal life. They're going to get nothing. If they get something, it's going to be something false to mislead them. God is in the habit sometimes with those who persist in wickedness and sending them lying spirits. And that's how the Antichrist is going to rule the world. God's going to send lying spirits. But the reason was in Thessalonians, because they did not love to acknowledge the truth, so God sends them a strong delusion that they will believe a lie and be damned or condemned. So it's telling us who's doing this telling us why God is doing this. So we need to understand if we're going to continue to be led of the Spirit, we have to obey the Lord. We have to follow Him, for these are the sons or children of God, those who are led of the Spirit. So if people are not obeying their conscience, Christians, and they're not attempting to do what's right and what their conscience And God's plain word tells them that they're going to be deceived. And most of the professing Christian world is deceived and says, Lord, Lord. So he desires, the Father desires, Christ desires us to know certain events that will happen. Prophecy of future events are to warn, to strengthen, to prepare, and to reveal God's plans at various times where people need to know it. Even individual Christians in their ministry, in their life that they live in this world, they need precise instruction. Sometimes God moves them. Sometimes He wants them where they're at, and only He can reveal this. The general Word of God cannot do this. See? That's why we have wisdom and knowledge. That's why God can give us insight and a word from him that's clear. There's no scripture that tells you that God's called you to be a missionary to Indonesia. Oh, there's general scripture, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But God expects those mature in the Lord with ministry to be precise. All Christians are, we could say, general practitioners, but he wants the mature to be specialists. So if he's going to send you and you're going to uproot your life and everything, You need a clear word from the Lord, and the scripture does not have that. It can confirm to your conscience, but it cannot come out and say, go to Indonesia, because not only Indonesia's not in there, so how is he going to give you this? So he's willing, even in personal prophecy, to those who obey him and those who are ministering. It's his desire to give personal instruction. When you're dealing with people, when you're witnessing or teaching, there's time the Spirit reveals, don't mess with this person. They just want to waste your time. You've taught them and said things two or three times, and they just want to chatter. They love the ear of knowledge. They're like Corinthians. They want knowledge, but they're puffed up in pride. They're disobedient. And so the Spirit can say, don't waste no time with this person. Reprove them. Tell them to go find someone else. You don't have time for this. See, only the Spirit can reveal that. In general, we give the Word to everybody, but we don't keep doing it. Apostle Paul says heretics in the church, those who are bringing in false teachers, he said you reprove them two to three times and then have nothing to do with them. Put them out of your midst. See, so he's given us how God thinks about these things. But see, we need the Spirit to guide us. We don't want to reject someone and cause someone to stumble because we didn't like their personality or we didn't like their question, which has nothing to do with spiritual things. So that's why we need, at times, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. These are the avenues that prophecy takes. See, prophecy is revealed to the Christian by the spirit of prophecy, Christ, the spirit, And it gives wisdom and spiritual knowledge how to act in a particular event. The Word of God gives us the general instruction of what's required of us. Prophecy zeroes in to the individual problem and deals with the individual so God can give us wisdom on how to pray for someone, how not to pray for someone. See, this is the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And we do not get that simply by studying scripture. Scripture gives us the foundation. And any odd thing we may get in prophecy, we make sure in general it is not contradict or go against the apostolic teaching. Because that sums up the ministry of Christ and the law and the prophets. So he wants us to know certain things. So Jesus received. This prophecy from the Father for us. He now sends it by an angel to John, who is the bond servant. Notice he doesn't claim his apostolic stand here, because the prophecy is showing him he's a servant. Even the Lord is called a servant. He's the holy servant, the servant of the Father. We know not who or what angel could have been Michael, could have been Gabriel, could have been one of millions. It wasn't important who they were. Simply the angel came down and began to open John's eyes and ears so he could receive this revelation. Okay? So it's not for us to know the methods that God does. He can choose his methods. Give an example in the Old Testament when the Lord, after 40 years of keeping Moses, in the wilderness, he appeared to him in a flaming bush. The bush looked like it was on fire, but it was not consumed. See, it was the Holy Spirit taking a visible form, and he spoke out of it. But at first, when Moses sees it's burning, he's puzzled. His intellect is stimulated. We could say a scientific mind, why isn't this bush burning? It's fire all around it. And as he goes to examine it, a voice speaks. The Lord speaks out of the bush and says, do not draw near. Tells him to take the shoes off his feet. You're on holy ground. See, he was after intellectual knowledge. He was after what we call carnal knowledge. Carnal's not always evil. It's earthly. It just means it's not spiritual. And so Moses was just curious, but God's trying to teach him something. You're in the presence of a manifestation of god you don't need to be examining me all you need to know is i'm here not why this bush that's irrelevant why this bush you are seeing a supernatural event i'm manifesting myself but it's a reason but you are standing in a holy place because i'm here and so often like we say people want to know things carnally that was the problem of many of the corinthians They wanted knowledge and spiritual knowledge so they could be proud and boastful. And, oh, I've taken this degree. I don't know how many I've heard over the years. Well, I went and took this course, and I took this seminary. And in most cases, I'd have to say, and you're worse off, and the devil has more control of you now than he ever did, because you were taught a bunch of lies and perversions of Scripture. You weren't taught basic Scripture, because most of these people in seminary are not saved. They're teaching false Christianity mixed with New Age and how to grow a church and how to make money. All this is worldliness, has nothing to do with spiritual things. There is no place in Scripture for seminaries. See, the body of Christ is supposed to be doing this. The local church matures the saints. They don't need no seminary. See, All of this is the intellectual foolishness. So then these people come out, and they're mean and selfish. they ain't no different. They should be more spiritual. They're not. I've been around enough of them. And I have to say, in most cases, they come out worse than they went in. It did more damage for them than it did any good. Okay? And so we're seeing the Corinthians want knowledge, And they're reproved for their pride. They're reproved, and Paul's not pleased uh, with them. Now, we see when he addresses the Corinthians, he's not addressing every one of them. We have to understand this when Christ addressed the seven churches. He reproves some, he commends others. He's dealing with many home groups that are called the church of that area. And so that's what he does. And so Corinthians, when Paul's and the epistles are being written by apostolic witness, they're doing the same thing. We find James does it, John does it. They reprove and correct some, and they commend others. It's whatever the situation fits who's there. See, that's what the prophetic word can do. When a person teaches more than a few people or exhorts, and he's open to the spirit of prophecy, most teachers and exhorters should be in the prophetic area. It doesn't mean they're going to say, it thus saith Lord. It means their teaching at times should be inspired. And the Spirit can speak to various individuals over different words that are said. He can commend one and convict another. He can comfort one and reprove another by the same message. See, he can do this. That's what the Spirit of prophecy is for. Paul said that prophecy benefits everybody. So when a person teaches or preaches, they are exhorting. It's a gift. And they are teaching. No preacher has any business preaching a salvation message if he doesn't know Scripture. That's nonsense. He should be grounded and mature in the Lord, and he has no business preaching the gospel. Because the gospel isn't three verses. The gospel isn't just getting someone saved. This is all foolishness. This is all nonsense by denominations that just want numbers. And these people stay dead. And if any of them ever came to the Lord, they lose their salvation because they are starved to death spiritually. So because that's not the gospel. It's the beginning of the gospel. It shows us the entrance, and then it shows us the path, but we have to stay on it or we forfeit that period of grace, see? People don't understand that because they're given false assurance and false peace by false shepherds. Just say this little prayer, and you don't have to worry anymore. Well, that's a demon speaking. That is not the Holy Spirit, because we're told we have to continue in grace. We have to continue in faith. We have to continue in the fear of the Lord, and we can cease to. God does not override the Christian's will. His spirit and conscience can make decisions. That's why most of the gospel and epistles are to Christians. It's to encourage them to do something or not to do something. The responsibility is put on them. And if you don't put on the armor of Christ, you will be defeated by the devil, and you will ultimately lose your salvation. You won't stay with the Lord. See? I know it's contrary to false teachers because they don't want to scare nobody. Well, when people are in hell, they'll wish they had been scared by somebody, okay, and warned. So we're seeing then the prophecy here. It takes four agents to get it, basically. The angel brings the prophecy, okay? In the Old and New Testament, revelation and prophecies usually came in a few modes or avenues, we would say, methods. Usually, visions, dreams, audible voice, and angels was the means or the method that God spoke to prophets and his messengers. And sometimes the angel brought the message. Sometimes in the vision or dream, an angel would be there. So again, these are interchangeable methods. The Holy Spirit speaks and reveals to the spirit of man his will. See, he's not interested in dealing with the bodily and the soulish part of man. Everything spiritual comes to the spirit of the Christian, then it works outward. It's not the reverse. People want a sign, oh, I gotta see something with my eyes. I'm gonna hear, see, they're trying to reverse it. God doesn't do that. That's why he doesn't give signs that people believe. He'll often give signs when people do believe. He'll confirm the truth. He does not give sign to help unbelief. It's not his method to do that. That's why most people in the world cannot receive anything. Because, well, if God appeared to me and he did this and he did that, well, I can prove that wrong. He did that to the children of Israel in a way no one's ever seen in any society, and they will cut off that generation for being disobedient. And yet they had the greatest of signs and wonders. It didn't save them and it didn't keep them saved. And we see the end result because it's from the natural man and God's dealing With the spiritual person he's after. Even in the old covenant, when they were not born again, he dealt with them at various levels and he understood they could exercise their will and their humanity and he respected that. He didn't require certain things of them that he does to the Christian now. So God delights to reveal his plans to his own, but it's to the mature and the obedient and those who are in his will, he does not reveal things that tickle people's ear to make them feel special. They're not special. See, when people want to be special, that's the pride of life. And they don't know what they're saying. People say, well, I want to win many souls for the lesson. Now you want people to think how wonderful evangelist you are. That's what's at the root of it. But well, then they sort of get quiet. See, because it reveals they want to share in this glory. They want to do something for God, but they surely want people to know that I'm God's special agent. This is from the flesh. See, Those who are greatly used of the Lord, they understand responsibility and humility. They're not seeking these things. They understand they're going to answer. And that's why the Apostle James says, not many of you should be teachers because we're going to receive a stricter judgment. He mellows this out. Paul mellowed it out, woe unto me. It meant a curse on me if I don't preach the gospel. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the ministry and having joy in ministry. But if it's to feed the natural ego, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, then it's not from God. And that's the majority of most Christendom because they're not spiritual. And most of them aren't even saved. But, oh, I want to be serve the Lord. Yeah, as long as you get something out of it, huh? People, I want to tithe or make me wealthy God. Well, isn't that wonderful? You get to give God 10% and then you can squander the 90%. What banker wouldn't want that? Foolish person, see? They're thinking from the earthly. They have no spiritual understanding. Now, we look at Amos. After the book of Daniel, we were just in Daniel, Amos, chapter 3, verse 7. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. Isn't that interesting what he says here? That's God's general way to reveal things to the godly, to his servants. And he does it through the prophets. Notice he does nothing. Nothing. It's God's will that anything that goes on with Christians in the body of Christ, the true body of Christ, that they be informed of things. He doesn't like surprises for them. See, certain things he wants them prepared for. When the Romans were going to destroy Jerusalem, three quarters of a million people or more were in the city, and the soldiers had already surrounded it and laid siege. And then they got a rumor there was some rebellion in Syria or somewhere north, and they temporarily departed for a couple of months or so. And the Christians, the Christian prophets who were left there, and some of the apostles were still there, they were getting revelations, time to leave. They didn't want them. And it's believed that at that time there were probably maybe 15, 20,000 Christians in Jerusalem. Well, they were told to leave, and they did. And when the Romans came back, they destroyed at least a half a million and sent the rest they could into slavery, okay? So they were warned. God didn't want them taken by surprise. He wanted their message to go out, and he says, Your ministry here, your apostolic ministry, after 40 years of God's probation, I'm finished with Israel as a nation. See, that's why Paul would... Go every two or three Sabbaths in the Roman world and go to the synagogue first. But after the destruction of Jerusalem, we find no emphasis on going to the Jew anymore. See, God's dealing with them like everybody. He puts them in the same bag. They're not special. He cuts off their system, their order, and the old covenant totally ceases. They've been given probation for 40 years after they killed Christ, and that's it. Then the apostles leave. They don't dwell because it's going to be destroyed. Okay, let's take a break here.